This is an intimate position. It's not a boardroom. Some of the ways that I have really helped fortify teams and build them is bringing literature from the outside that I found helpful interpersonally and applying that instead of in a family dynamic in my work families. And I'm in love with this good life. Can't give it up. Make it to the top. Keep climbing. I'm Mohammed Elzmore. And on the show today, Kristen Twyfern and I are talking with TJ Singh, who provides luxury management services, ranging from onboarding and training to project management and concierge services. In this conversation, TJ shares how she helps teams work together with insights from books like The Four Agreements and The Five Love Languages, books usually used to improve interpersonal relationships that she says help teams understand each other better. TJ fell into private service when, after studying chemistry at Stanford, she started working with a builder to help him find healthier building products for the homes of his high net worth clients. She learned construction from the ground up, built a network of influential families, and taught herself estate management until she found her niche and launched her own business. So eventually, through working with quite a few families uh, along the way, I really specialized in training developing staff development, training, um, and systems. How, you know, a lot of people that are in that level of wealth think they know what they need. And it's often another body. Um, but being able to go in and evaluating who's on their staff now and what everybody does and really getting to know them behind the scenes without the principles around, if the principal's willing to let you do that, it lets you get to meet the people that are already there and if you can get them to open up and trust you enough to tell you their honest feelings about what it's like, what works, what doesn't, that's when you can really find some golden nuggets. A lot of times people are in the wrong position. They are doing the position they've been hired to do because that's what they were hired to do, but they can be a little better off if you maybe nudge them as a PA or nudge them into an EA role. Um, even if they're not formally educated, if they're very bright, um, and are willing, especially technically savvy, and are willing to self-educate, um, and the principal's willing to do a little investing. Harvard's got a lot of really good online programs. I've turned more than one housekeeper into an amazing household manager or PA that way. And then they've got the reward of being promoted within the estate or within the household, which gives them alliance. It gives them trust in the family and helps them start recruiting people that are out there that are looking to fill in those other positions. And if you do it really smart, you tell them, I'm going to groom you for this other position, but I'm going to need help, you know, with your network of friends um, that are really good housekeepers. And then you're going to come in and start by training that new housekeeper as we train you into this new role. So it's seamless and there's less of a struggle with that. And a big part of it is video and written documentation for each position. You know, what are the processes that are in place that the principals want? How do you communicate that? How does everybody get on the same page? That I have found is one of the biggest deficits in most households is that information isn't transparent and people have to come in and figure it out as they go. And that often makes for troubled teams. That's when you get a lot of infighting behind the scenes and a lot of the drama and the way to end that is to have everybody get the information that they need. Yes, and we want to get into all of that. We want to kick it off with a little bit of a lightning round. So the first one is, what's on your daily soundtrack? A book. Which book I, is like your go-to? An audio book. It depends. If I'm trying to relax, it's usually a good John Carr book. Right now, I'm going through the John Carr books. Um, 
and I can, you know, go through paperwork and have that on in the background or he did this really good. He was a former combat veteran that started writing and he literally reads aloud everything that the government redacted. So he'll talk about a location as a former Navy SEAL and he's writing about how the Navy, this one Navy SEAL, John, John Reese is, and he's doing all of his exploits. And it's, you know, talking about the different missions redacted at redacted. So it's really fun. It's for me, that's a good relaxing thing. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite fictional private service professional? Mary Poppins. Absolutely. Hands down. That's a Great one. one. I love that one. That's <laughs> so good. And what's a lesson you've learned the hard way in your career? Ask before assuming. Very good one. Simple, but powerful. Yeah. Well, we want to get into our conversation about, you know, helping your team work together and using some of these outside resources to bring your team together and helping them work together more seamlessly. So tell us a little bit about the four agreements and the other tools that you've used with your teams. What got you interested in trying those out with your private service teams? The infighting. Mm -hmm. Seriously, it's all, all of the things that happen on a daily basis. One of the four agreements is that you don't make assumptions. You know, we take, it's, it's, it's a Toltec talking point about not um, assuming what somebody's thinking based on their facial expressions. When I was with a, a family early on, I was scaring all of the staff. I guess I had a resting bitch face and I had to consciously learn to smile more, especially when I'm thinking and I'm going through inventory systems and I'm putting those together. That's, you're not sitting there smiling when you're doing that. You're trying to get it done. And somebody comes in and talks to you. You have to teach yourself to look up with a smile instead of with your diligence so that you don't scare them because a smile is far more relaxing than apparently my resting bitch face. So I had to learn that. And that was making assumptions was a big one. And then not doing that, I guess, was a big one. What are the other three of the four agreements? Let's say don't make assumptions. Um, the last one is always do your best, which is one of the hardest ones for me because your best is only as good as it's going to be on any given day. And some days you're just not going to feel your best. You just got to fight. Maybe you're, you've decided you're getting a divorce or your kid just dropped out of school or life happens and you're not feeling your best. Or maybe you've got a cold or the flu and you're still showing up for your job. That's a huge difference for the best that you're going to do on a day like that versus any other day. And being kind enough to yourself to acknowledge that, okay, I, I did the best I could today. I gave it what I had is very different than beating yourself up for that. If you stay in that zone, I guess then you should be beating yourself up because that's not very productive and will likely cost you your job. But a day or two of that, you know, maybe being honest with your boss and taking some time off if you feel like you can't perform. Um, but being loving enough to yourself to let some things go and try and do better the next day. And taking it that way versus just having the perfectionistic attitude that I think a lot of us do have. Um, the big one for me, besides that one, it's the hard one, but the big one for me is being impeccable with your word. Being impeccable with your word isn't just about telling the truth. It's about doing what you say you're going to do. You're going to deliver on that promise. It's a verbal agreement you've made with somebody. In households, if you're helping somebody out and they say, can you do this for me? I'm totally swamped. And you agree to that. You've just signed a verbal contract with your coworker. If you don't do that, you've now kind of done a very bad thing to your coworker, but you've also done something to yourself. Your, your self-worth is being declined amongst your peers 
because they, after that one incident, can never truly trust you. If it's something that you've agreed to do for the principal, now they're going to have doubts. Being impeccable with your word means I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. If something happens where you can't, you have the integrity, the honesty, and the fortitude to let people know, uh, I was supposed to do this, and I'm, you know, this, this hurricane now is preventing me from, you know, getting to wherever I needed to go or do whatever I needed to go, you know, and not having that come up and having enough self-integrity to do the, whatever you said you were going to do as a priority in your day so that it actually gets done more often than not. And then don't take anything personally is another big one for staff. You know, that's one thing we all do. Somebody said something to them, they're not thinking that you've got all this internal baggage with it because they don't know your internal baggage potentially. So if you make an off-handed cuff that is offensive to somebody and they then take that personally and it's ruined their day, instead of just saying, oh, that didn't feel very good, you know, or gosh, that sounds kind of mean or whatever it is that they take away from it, you can stop it and turn it around if that wasn't your intention. If it was, then the two of you are going to fight it out and there's never going to be anything but drama there. Most often, though, it's somebody making an assumption based on something someone says or does without clarifying what that is um, and then not, you know, judging them for it. That's a big one. We There's so many in society, we're just programmed to judge. That's part of not making the assumptions. And when we're judging somebody else for doing something without clarifying why are you doing that? You know, is it a cultural thing? Is it a, you know, did the principal want you to do that? You know, some of us are told to do some very bizarre things for our household that a primary wants done in a very specific way that can often be rather bizarre mm-hmm. if you're not used to it. So instead of making a judgment that, oh my gosh, she doesn't know how to make a bed to save her life, maybe she's making it exactly the way the principal has told her instead of the way we're all taught to do where you can't ever possibly move your feet. Mm-hmm. Those military quarters. <laughs> right. And so like I think these are all amazing principles to live by in any workplace, but definitely in private service where it's such a sensitive environment and can be, you know, a tough environment to work in. So when you've rolled this out to your teams, how do you do it? It's a book, right? So you It is a book and it's mandatory. When I come on board with a new family, I work with the family closely at first, the principals, and we all make sure that we've understood and read it. And they I haven't had a family yet that said this is a bad idea. Um most of them have read it. I've only had one principal that hadn't that was pretty happy that we brought it in and started talking about it. He also hadn't read the the love languages um, and thought that was another really good one too. You know, those are languages that you think are for interpersonal relationships. Well, guess what? Everybody you work with, that's an interpersonal relationship. And we do need to import those skills into, you know, being able to fill up, Gary Chapman writes about filling up your partner's love tank. Well, if someone that you work with, their their love language is acts of service and they go, 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 but they're still looking for someone to do that to them. They're demonstrating what their love is. And if nobody acknowledges that and nobody ever does anything to help them out, they're going to get bitter and disgruntled pretty quickly. If somebody's love language is gifts and you never bring them a cookie or you know maybe a bottle of water on a really hot day they're going to start feeling deprived also um 
if someone's love language is quality time, quality time with the principals and most instances, very few PCPs are going to get depending on what your position is. Even if you're the chief of staff, there's just not enough of it. You better have some way of fulfilling that or have a source through your team where you're going to get quality time. And that's what your team's looking for. If they can't get it from the principal, they're going to look for it from whoever the leadership is. And that quality time may not be on a daily basis, face-to-face. Maybe it's a quick phone call at the end of the day to see how things went. It's that personal touching base that's five, 10 minutes, whatever you have to give, but it's done consistently and repetitively so that they feel like you've got their back. A good one is um, words of encouragement, I believe. Absolutely. And that one seems like an easy one, right? Just remember (laughs) to say thank you and you did a great job. But that's Um, a really good book. I think I think that words of encouragement, it's not even the thank you that they're looking for. It's when things don't go well. Mm. What they're looking for, though, is not just the attaboy when they do something great. You want to catch them more often when they've done something that nobody recognizes them for. Um, you know, they, they took it upon themselves to re- organize a storage room or they are really diligent about uh, resupplying inventory lists and letting you know, helping you succeed in your job. That's an act of, that's, that's words of encouragement need to come back for that act of service. And you need to be self-aware on both sides to be able to do that. And that's what the books are really helpful for. When you get all the staff on board and everybody knows, and you take a little test, what's your love language, and you start teaching them, how do you help this person feel great at work on their job? You guys are a cohesive team or you're a dysfunctional team. Which way do you want to take this? And the earlier on, I've seen that implemented, the stronger the teams are, that builds longevity in families. It builds a dynamic of people that learn that we're all in this together versus I just got to do my job and it doesn't matter what anybody else does. And I'm going to be, if I'm a housekeeper, I'm going to be a team with the housekeepers, but everybody else, you're on your own. And it just doesn't work that way. It's not us against them in any position. Everybody has to be willing to put any hat on and do whatever it is that needs to be done that they see if they're capable of doing it, unless there's a protocol on the property that says, do not do this, get this person. Yeah, TJ, that was a really good bit of advice there. Um, Can you give us an example, a real life example, something you've experienced where you've rolled out these books, either the four agreements or the five love languages, and you saw maybe an immediate impact and people started to get yeah. along and all of a sudden it goes from a culture that is not so great to one of cohesiveness. Yeah, actually I have a really good example of that. I had a family last summer that I worked with that um, had tremendous turnover and couldn't figure out why. And I went into it assuming it was the principal because often it is. And when you have nothing but staff turnover, there's a dynamic in the home that isn't working. Turns out that wasn't helping, but the biggest deficit is everybody was in it for themselves. And bringing the team to start working as a team started solving enough problems where the principal actually started working better with the team. So I think it's really difficult to know when to put the cart before the horse and when to put the horse before the cart. And the principal thought he was the horse, but it turns out he wanted to be in the cart but he was acting like the horse. Once the staff became the horse and the principal got to ride in the cart, everybody else was pretty happy. And in order for the staff to become the horse, you had to have each part work together because if everybody was taking a step at the same time, the horse kept falling down. If everybody was standing in place, the horse didn't get very far. 
And if nobody was taking care of the cart that the principal was hanging out in, that didn't work out so good either. So sometimes the horse had to lose a hoof to go fix a flat. (laughs) Sure. More specifically, do you feel that you have to find one or two people in that staff to really latch on first and then it's easier to get the rest of the staff to follow along or do you really have to get every person to buy in? It it depends. If the principal says, I'm giving you time and you're going to do this, I'm going to give you time off to read this and we do it together. We spend an afternoon, um, ideally as a team development. um, And, you know, people sit and read both books and we talk about both books. And then we start doing an engagement of how to apply these new skills to their jobs. And if they give us a day, two is even better. That's only happened a few times. But usually they'll say, okay, you can have my team for a day and I'm just going to deal. And we make it an actual, like a retreat for the team. They do come back and they immediately start applying the concepts. Do they need a lot of checkbacks in over the first couple of months? Yeah. And they need a little bit of guidance on what does it mean when this is happening or how do I apply this? That's how we make it work. But usually if we get that first day and the team is mandated as this portion is mandatory and I want you to do this because I want you all to be happy and I would like to have a healthy team, people then come into it with the approach that's pretty open-minded. I've had a couple of times where one person on the team was just not going to participate. It was up to the principal how they wanted to handle that and ultimately neither of those people made it, not by my decision, but because the principal really liked the results that they were seeing from the rest of the team. And didn't want, uh, you know, a poison petal on the rose. Um, I lobbied for each of those people to stay because I thought they really needed another chance at it. But neither of those principals agreed to do that. Well, they saw something that clearly made their decision very clear. And it's very difficult to build a team if not everyone is on the same page. So I can understand that. Now, you brought up two books, The Four Agreements and The Five Love Languages. Is there an approach you take? Do you recommend one book first and then you move on to you know level two or is it either or how do you decide which book works best i i really when i talk to the principals and they've read both books and we discuss why the concepts from one don't necessarily take the other they are very different you're learning how to help your teammates feel better on the job and they understand how you need it especially when you're like you know scrubbed um 2,000 square feet of, or stripped even, 2,000 square feet of floors before you have to put a new wax on it, you're feeling exhausted. Somebody coming up with a glass of water or, you know, just, geez, that looks amazing, you know, or whatever verbal uh, reward you want to give them to help them, or even pitching in, if that's not even your job, to help them is going to really solidify that person to you as somebody that they can trust. And that's the first component of team building is trust. People get to like each other based on whether or not they trust you enough to share themselves. And in order to do that, they have to trust you. They can like you enough to smile and say your name, but are they really telling you what their life is about? Are they helping you on the job? In order to do that, you have to build it. Not everybody's good at that. And these books make it pretty simple. And when everybody's told, this is what we're going to try and do, and let's see how this goes, and we're going to give it a month, and then we're going to reevaluate. That's a pretty open concept and it's approachable. So whichever one, I like starting with both because I think they each have an intense amount of value. 
Um, you know, you go from feeling good to understanding what drives one person isn't what drives you. My life is going to give me assumptions that I take away from. Your life's going to give you assumptions that you take away from. You may not be offended by anything I say. I may be offended by most of what you say. That's important for us to understand that why am I offended? And can I talk to you about that? You know, I, I'm feeling like this. And did you mean it that way? And most people are going to laugh and go, oh my gosh, no, this is what I was trying to say, you know, or, and there's a lot of language barriers in there too, where assumptions really get in the way and being sensitive enough to that and cultural differences, you know, those cultural differences, what's okay in one country usually are not okay in one country is usually totally, we don't think about it in our country, you know, having a dog at the table here is apparently completely okay. And in other countries, maybe not being aware of what drives one person on your team so that they, you don't drive them nutty is probably an important factor. Yeah, and you're not just setting them up for success at that particular job, but you've enhanced their life, their quality of life, because now they understand themselves better and they understand those around them a little better. Hopefully, if they do the work. The part is doing, and that's one of the things that I, I work with teams on, is it's this is this is an interpersonal development skill. It's helping you be more successful in not just this job, you're right, but any job, but also in your life. That's a really good point because if they, if, if all of us can stop making some of the assumptions and judgments and, you know, the ones that we make on ourselves are probably the worst, you know, and honoring the fact that we should always do our best and feel at the end of the day that we are doing our best for that day, I think we'll all be a lot help, happier. You know, mental health will improve ultimately because we'll have less to be disgruntled about at the end of the day. Yep, yep. I want everybody to like their job. You know, you should feel good about it. Private service personnel work hard and they are often completely unrecognized for it. So if you're not going to get the hey boys from your principals, which most don't, you have to figure out how to reward yourself with them and how to reward each other on your team. Yeah, super important. So you mentioned you, you threw the, the term out maybe a month, right? To kind of go through this book and do the work. Is that typically how long it takes to set up a team and get things going? Obviously, it depends on the size of the organization and who's it involved. It totally depends on the size of the organization. When I've done it in the past, most successfully, it's starting with a retreat where everybody takes the day off. Everybody from the controllers, whoever it is that the principal allow go for one day. Um, yes, it's a paid day. And the idea, of, you know, the principal has to buy into it in order for that to be successful. But when you get the office staff or the family office involved as well with these people that they're usually pushing buttons over, it personalizes it on a different level. And it helps the communication for, you know, when you're calling the family office for your paycheck that you can't find for the fifth time and they're going, you should really set up direct deposit. And they don't understand that you can't for whatever reason, because whatever your life drama is, you know, the opportunity to be able to get together and understand each other at a different level can be pretty empowering for a team at large. Absolutely. I love the idea of having a retreat, if you will, right? Having that one day off to kind of get to know each other a little better. Can you tell me a little more about what a retreat would look like and how you would run that? I like to organize it um, like an employee development where you start off in the morning and it's a meet and greet. Everybody should have a name tag on if you don't know everybody and if it's a well-versed team that's been around for a while and sometimes they are the ones that need a little bit of love um 
they, if you know everybody, great, but getting to know something personal about them that they don't usually share is a, a good icebreaker. Um, I found out that uh, a housekeeper I had worked with three families with, I had no idea that she had four children and three grandchildren. And I didn't realize her life story. And she shared a little bit about how she came to this country from Guatemala and uh, how she ended up with three grandbabies with kids in high school. And it was, that was powerful for me. It, it really helped me understand why she had some of the challenges she did in each of those positions. That's incredible. Running late, you know, not showing up always, you know, little, little dings. But when you get their baggage that comes with it, it's kind of like, oh, I bet that was yeah. problematic. It all makes sense all of a sudden. <laughs> wow. And how do you end those retreats? How do you make it so that the whole day went extremely well and now people actually take something out of it? Um, is to apply. You know, we go through all the concepts, we apply them for your job and they get homework. And their homework is oh. to uh, record on a daily basis after work. They take 15 minutes to write how they applied each concept on a daily basis. And if they didn't, how they think they can do it in the future. And that homework is due at the end of the week, at the end of their shift, um, and is sent into the family office for assimilation and discussion. And then they do that for several weeks and I stay available to consult. And then at the month end, we wrap up for usually a one hour or two hour Zoom with the team. Everybody zooms in from a device and we round table about how it's going. And I pull randomly a few applications that they've sent in uh, anonymously. I don't give an employee's name, but I'll say uh, a housekeeping member, you know, thought this or did that. And how could this apply to some of your other roles and just throw it out there so that people start to understand how to apply it. Um, at my last one that I did like this, I was really surprised that it, I had a housekeeper who then had her husband and her two high school students read these and they applied them at home. And she was telling me more about what they were doing at home than what she was doing on the job because she drank the Kool-Aid so well. I guess that's a good thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Are there any other words of wisdom or advice that you'd like to share with estate managers who want to help foster strong working relationships among their team members? If you haven't personally worked in a position that you're managing, roll up your sleeves for at least a day. You, you want to know how long it takes to deep clean a, a room? don't go by the numbers only. It always depends on the details in that room and do it, do it yourself, get in there with them, understand why they're doing what they're doing. Is this the principal's choice? Is this how they want it done? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you not doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Could you do this instead? And don't do any of that the day of, do it the day after or the week after, do it as a follow-up. That first day, get in there and just do it. If you've got equine that you're dealing with, that is, those are some seriously hard jobs. If you've never mucked out a stall, you'll have so much more appreciation once you try to muck out a stall because I don't think a lot of estate managers would actually completely muck it outright without a lot of tutelage. It's far more complicated than I realized it was going to be the first time I took it on so that I could understand it. And if you put that hat on genuinely, you get dirty and you're willing to do it for a day or two to understand specifically what is your job that I'm managing, you, you have a better relationship with your team members and they'll have a lot more respect for you in the end. Absolutely. It's not just your understanding, but your level of appreciation increases as well <laughs> right. in both directions. Especially when you're 
walking around with blisters all over your hands because a lot of these jobs are hard, hard oh, labor. Yeah. That's tough. Well, TJ, yeah. this has been fantastic. I know we can probably go for another two hours if we really wanted to. Um, but thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for imparting all this information and wisdom with the Easemakers community. Thanks. <laughs> it was nice to chat with you. Thank you to TJ Singh for joining us on the show today. To connect with other private service professionals on a regular basis, join the conversation in the Easemakers community. The Easemakers podcast and the Easemakers community are presented by Nines, the first dynamic household management platform built for discerning households and the private service professionals who support them. Visit NinesLiving.com to see how Nines can help you bring your house manual to life so you can live with ease. I'm Mohamed Elzamore. And I'm Kristen Twyford. And we'll see you next time on the Easemakers podcast.